Before I begin, I would like to read you a paragraph from Ellen White's Steps to Christ. God has bound our hearts to him by unnumbered tokens in heaven and in earth. Through the things of nature and the deepest and tenderest earthly ties that human hearts can know, he has sought to reveal himself to us. Yet these but imperfectly represent his love. Though all these evidences have been given, the enemy of good blinded the minds of men so that they looked upon God with fear. They thought of him as severe and unforgiving. Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute is stern justice, one who is a severe judge, a harsh, exacting creditor. He pictured the creator as a being who is watching with jealous eye to discern the errors and mistakes of men that he may visit judgments upon them. It was to remove this dark shadow by revealing to the world the infinite love of God that Jesus came to live among men. That's a very powerful description of how we come to see God when left to our own devices. It's so easy to see God as a stern, harsh judge because after all, that's how our culture works. I'll get to that in a moment. In Psalm 86, verse 15, which you have in your notes, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Today we're going to be talking about God's grace. But I'm wearing red, white, and blue today because it's Veterans Day, but also because this concept of grace is most alien to those of us who were born and grew up here in the good old USA. It's built into our culture that we must be independent, that we must pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. If you don't believe me, I would like you to fill in, I would like you to um, fill in the ending of these phrases. No such thing as a free, if it sounds too good to be true, we make money the old-fashioned way. We, God helps those who... Now that last one is commonly confused for being in the Bible. It's, so many people do not realize that God helps those who helps themselves is nowhere in the Bible. It was actually written by Benjamin Franklin, who is the ultimate American. You see, our society understands performance, not grace. I like to think of it like the way we, the way cars are awarded. A while ago, it may not be true anymore, I found out that the car with the award for being the fastest car is the Bugatti Veyron. And the Bugatti Veyron can go 400 miles an hour. Yeah. Other cars that win awards are top performers in, the, in, in ecological goodness, like the, like the Tesla. But can any of us afford a Bugatti Veyron or a Tesla? What gets us to work every day? Honda Civics, Ford Focuses, uh, Pintos, uh, Mustangs. 
Our society puts great honor on cars that people don't really use. Sure, it would be nice if we could all afford a Ferrari or a Jaguar with that engine that just purrs, but that's not what gets us to work every day. What matters is that we actually get there. So this is the American work ethic, that you get what you deserve, that you work hard and you achieve the American dream, a nice house, nice car, white picket fence. But the problem with this is that it gives us some difficulty in relating to God. As my father used to say when I was little, the root of all evil is the sentence, I deserve. Because the reality is, is that unless we are talking about, most of the time when we say, I deserve, it's a lie. Because none of us deserves anything. So here's what God's grace does for me. God's saving grace removes my guilt. Since no one is perfect, as much as some of us try, we all experience guilt. All of us have sinned. We've all felt that burning sensation in our hearts and sometimes in our stomachs, sometimes in our throats. It's very physical, the emotion of guilt that comes when we've sinned. And it leaves these bad feelings. But Ephesians 1, verse 7 through 8 speaks hope to this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. This is the most basic truth about Christianity. Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, and all you have to do is accept it. Now, there are a lot of other truths in Christianity. Here in the Adventist Church, we've named 28 of them. 28! And who knows in our lifetimes how much, how much bigger it will grow, because those things are hammered out by committee. But, this, all of those 28 fundamental beliefs rely on this one, that we are saved through Jesus' saving grace. And the 2300 days, the investigative judgment, none of that means a pile of beans without Jesus' saving sacrifice. So what did, he, what did he sacrifice himself to save us from? Guilt and condemnation. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'd like you to imagine, imagine for a second, my Sabbath school lesson pointed this out to me this week, that we all get to heaven, and we're standing by the sea of glass, and there's this person who is going on and on about how they earned their spot there. Would you like to listen to that for eternity? Worse than that, would you like to be that person? Ugh. Ugh. 
This is the big difference between Christianity and religion. In religion, we do everything that we can to get God's favor. But in Christianity, it's been done. So this is the, mo the central and most beautiful truth of our faith, that we are saved by grace. But some of us try to save ourselves in other ways. One way is by comparison. Well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. I love it that almost once every sermon, Pastor Pacchini says, never compare your beginning to someone else's ending. But the opposite is true as well. Do not compare where you are to someone else's beginning. You see, your neighbor down the street, your friend at church is not the standard. God is. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Well, there are other ways that people try to save themselves. One way is through sincerity. Well, if I'm sincere and I do all the right things and I'm sincere about it, I'll be saved. Well, back, at the turn of, back in the 1800s, there was a group of, of preachers who sincerely thought that they could defend the thought, could defend the practice of slavery from scriptures. Were they sincere? Yes. They were sincerely wrong. Sincerity won't save us. Only the grace of God will. Another thing, another way that people try to save themselves is through subtraction. This is where we try to take away all of the things in our lives that may be even mildly objectionable. Where this ends is with you sitting alone at home watching 3ABN and doing nothing towards God's kingdom. You might as well have the flu. This will not save us. You cannot cut all the sin out of your life entirely without the grace of God. It just doesn't work. But a final way that we try to save ourselves that I know afflicts many of us in this room is through service. Maybe, just maybe, if I do enough for God, he'll look favorably on me and save me. Well, here's a news flash. If you could save yourself, the cross would be a waste. It would be an unnecessary sacrifice. And let me tell you something about the cross. No painting or film depiction you've seen of it, not even Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, fully depicts the horror of the cross. Jesus went through far more than we show in these paintings and in these works of film. Not just physically, although it was more intense physically, but also spiritually. He felt the whole burden of being separated from God, which is the penalty for sin. He felt all of our guilt and all of our shame for us. Would we want that great gift to be a waste? Here's the point. Salvation is based on God's mercy, not my merit. The most important decision any of us can make in our lives is to accept saving grace. 
Now, if I had written this sermon, it would probably stop here, but praise God, I did not. And we're going to learn even more about grace. There's more than one kind of grace. We've just talked about saving grace. But there is, praise God, another kind of grace called God's strengthening grace. God's strengthening grace reshapes my life. It helps me to become all that I'm meant to be. And that involves change. One time I was running lights for one of the spring programs my father put on with his kids at San Fernando. And there were elementary kids singing the most beautiful song about trees. I have roots going down to the water. I have leaves going up to the sunshine. I want to be all the Lord of the trees wants me to be, a really good tree. To become a really good tree, it had to start as an acorn. The process of sanctification is like that acorn going from being this little acorn into this magnificent tree. And God loves us even when we're acorns. He loves us just the way we are, even when our faith and, and our whole spiritual life is just in the acorn stage. But he loves us too much to leave us as acorns. He wants us to flourish, to grow. He wants us to be transformed. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the biggest problem among Christians. We begin with a relationship, but we revert to focusing on rules. You see, the new Christians start watching the older Christians, and they return to the performance mentality, trying to earn points and credits with God. Now, nowhere is this more evident than on a college campus that has worship credits. When I was at PUC, we were required to have worship credits. And there's two types of students, basically, in regards to the worship credits. There's those who are always anxiously checking to make sure that they have enough worship credits. And there's those who enjoy going to worship so much that even though they do take the proper measure of signing in and getting their worship credit, they're not motivated by that. Because they just want to be in God's presence with whoever will worship with them. That may, be, that may be what college students do, but those of us who are older and those of us who are younger sometimes, don't we do the same thing? Pray over a meal. There's one point. Do my school lesson. Ooh, it was boring this time, so two points. Go to church. Three points. Go out and distribute glow. Five points because it's really scary. These are all good things to do, and we should do them. But we can't let our spirituality descend into a checklist. Because what happens when we make our spirituality all about checklists? We lose our joy. Which student is happier, the one who's anxious about their worship credits, or the one who's there because they want to worship? So what's the right way to live? Well, Colossians 2 verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Those trees, 
don't grow through any mechanism of their own. They grow from what they receive from the sun and from their roots in the water. All spiritual growth is by grace, and we need God for growth just as much as that tree needs sunlight and water. The more we rely on God's grace, the more we grow. But that's not the only kind of grace either. There's God's sustaining grace, which relieves our hurts. It keeps us going when we're in pain. Some of us here, and I've talked to you so I know, have been through so much pain. All kinds of, all kinds of different pain. Some of you it's been physical, some of you it's been emotional, some of you it's been both. And for some, it can be tempting to think, I just want to give up. But God does not give up on us. Paul had a problem where he was in constant pain. He called it the thorn in his flesh. Three times he prayed for it to be taken away. And here's God's response. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul went on to say, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Every pain, every hurt, every disability, every wound is an opportunity for Christ to do his work. Where our need begins, where our need ends is where Christ's great grace begins. And it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need. If we do that, if we, if we boldly approach the throne of grace, one of two things will happen. Either God will remove the problem and give you supplying grace, or he will leave it and give you sustaining grace to help you deal with the hurt. Either way, he'll help you out. Nothing can totally devastate you if you rely on God's grace to see you through. So what happens if we don't lean on God's grace? What happens if we don't use God's grace? Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. The result is bitterness. Trying to handle a hurt on our own just leads to resentment and cynicism. Some of this resentment comes from wondering why God would let you go through this hurt. Ask him. Give it to him. The cynicism makes us wonder if God even cares, and it makes us cynical of other people's motivations. Ask God, because he is there for you. When we try to handle our hurts on our own, we are carrying an unnecessary burden. It's like when you check out at the grocery store and you have so many groceries and the, and the young person who works there asks, would you like some help with that out to your car? And because you're American and independent, you say, no, I can take care of my own groceries. It's unnecessary. The help has been offered to us. There are people who have been abused and misused and hurt, but they still have a sweet spirit, 
And how do they do it? They depend on the grace of God. The only antidote to a painful memory is the grace of God. Grace can pull you through that tough time. Every Saturday night, at the end of Get Connected, we sing side by side, and there's a song, there's a line to the song that says, living by his grace and moving out in faith. That's how it's meant to be. We are meant to live by God's grace. So what's the key to receiving God's grace? Well, it's very simple. Admit I need it. In Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is to admit you have a problem. It's the same thing in the spiritual life. You can't receive help from God's grace until you admit that you need God's grace. As James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. There he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Too many of us, even those of us who have been Christian for life, try to do everything on our own. We start out relying on God's grace because it's so fresh and new and exciting. And then it's so tempting for us to go, ah, but I've got to become better by myself. Ah, but I've got to, I've got to just uh, soldier on. But the thing is that God wants to give his grace. No one stood over, no one made Jesus give his great sacrifice. No, the Father did not make the Son do that. Jesus did it voluntarily because he wanted to, and he would have done it even if only one of us had accepted it. 2 Corinthians says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. For a time, it is possible to demonstrate behavior that lines up with the virtues. But in the long haul, we can only develop them through the grace of God. And the beauty of that is, is that God's grace is available to you right here and now today. For some of you, that may be why you're here today. All of you are here for a reason. And perhaps for some of you, you need to accept God's grace for the first time. For, perhaps for others of you, you need to refresh God's grace and ask for it in some area of growth in your life. But some of you are hurting today and really need God's grace to get through the hurt. We're going to pray and I'm going to ask for God's grace for each of these things. Lord, thank you so much for your abundant grace. It's more than amazing. It's incredible. Lord, you know the different needs for your grace in this room. If there's someone here who hasn't accepted your saving grace yet, let them have the opportunity to do that now. Lord, if there's someone here who's been a Christian for a while, but needs your help to grow, let them tap into your sustaining grace, your supplying grace. 
your grace of growth. And Lord, there are many people who are hurting in here. Give them the grace they need to get through the day. But not just to get through the day, but to thrive, Lord. We all need to know that you are here. Make your presence felt. Let us know that we have received your grace. In Jesus' holy name, amen.